Welcome to the Aileen Burford Mason podcast. I'm Gavin McGarry. Today's episode is about sugar. Sweet, but dangerous. Welcome, Aileen. Hi, Gavin. Nice to be talking about this uh, very topical subject today. Yeah, I mean, people really are concerned about sugar. So what's so bad about sugar? Well, there's nothing bad about sugar per se. It's really the amount of it that we're consuming at the moment that is a major problem. Um, excess of anything, really, you can imagine, um, can be harmful to our health. Um, it's the excess of sugar, the way it's crept up in our diets, the way it is creeping into more and more foods that we wouldn't even be aware of um, as containing sugar. So. It's the excess, really, we're talking about. And, and how has our sugar intake changed over the years? Well, you know, we've always craved sugar. I mean, wars have been fought over sugar. Sugar was prized uh, traditionally. Um, so the amount, though, has changed for the average person. Um, once upon a time, sugar was extremely expensive, and so only the very wealthy had access to a lot of sugar. Um, we had a report um, published here in 2015. A committee in our Senate were tasked with looking to see what Canadians could do to reduce the risk of chronic illness, to reduce the risk of obesity. And one of the statistics they quoted here, and I'm sure it's very similar, uh, it may be even higher for the states, um, they said that uh, 200 years ago, the average Canadian consumed four pounds of sugar per person per year. By the time they were writing the report in 2015, it was 151 pounds of sugar per person per year. What? So this is a huge excess, and really it is swamping our physiological ability to deal with it. We we are eating 150 pounds of sugar. I mean, I live in Los Angeles and, you know, everyone is talking about how we don't want to be, you know, we want to reduce our sugar. Is there is there a perfect amount of sugar that the human body requires? Is it just the four pounds or was that even a lot then? No, I mean, in fact... Um, when we're talking about sugar, we're talking about carbohydrates, carbohydrates that give energy to the body. So carbohydrates, we have to talk about the extent of carbohydrates. We've got sugar itself, of course. We have uh, starchy foods like uh, bread and pasta, etc. These are carbohydrates. We have fruits and vegetables. They too are carbohydrates. And ultimately, their building blocks are uh, sugars, glucose as uh, the main one. So it's everywhere. But interestingly enough, for most uh, elements of our food, there is uh, a critical point. If we get too low, we get into problems. So too little protein causes uh, various health conditions. That's not true of carbohydrates. In fact, when you look at the recommended daily intake, the actual requirement of the body for carbohydrates is zero. We don't need them. However, 
Um, and, and the reason we don't need them is because we can convert finally other foodstuffs we we into uh, into glucose. Uh, protein can be converted into glucose. Um, we can convert restored fat back into sugar. It was sugar once upon a time before it was stored as fat. So it's not that we absolutely have to have it, but it is that we do need to have a certain level circulating in the blood for cells to function properly. And in particular, I think we notice it because the brain is so dependent on glucose. In fact, the brain uses glucose at 10 times the rate of any other tissue in the body. Wow. So it's very dependent on it. So a little bit of sugar will stimulate brain function, will feel good, um, but too much swamps our ability to deal with this. And in fact, I, I think while we're talking about the brain, there is a, a reason uh, why it, you know, it, is, it has a negative impact on the brain when we have too much sugar. What will happen is uh, if we eat some forms of carbohydrates, especially in a, the unprocessed form, so vegetables and fruit, um, will give us that sugar that we need, but it'll be a slow release if we eat them in their whole form. And so blood sugar will just circulate through the brain. The brain feels comfortable. It works well. If we eat too much sugar, and it doesn't have to be, you know, candy. Uh, it doesn't have to be, you know, a lot of sugar out of a sugar bowl. It could just be something like a glass of orange juice, which is the equivalent of 10 teaspoons of sugar, and very rapidly pushes up blood sugar. If that happens, that's actually damaging to our tissues. So here's the problem with sugar, that it will, in excess, it will link to proteins in our body, proteins that are important for our functioning, proteins like DNA, uh, collagen, um, we see it in blood tests, sometimes the doctors test whether we're getting too much sugar attached to our proteins by looking at something called hemoglobin A1C. That's a blood test. So hemoglobin is a protein. So there shouldn't be sugar attached to it. Mm -hmm. And so if that sugar is there, it's damaging to our tissues. And so if every time we drank orange juice, our blood sugar went up and it damaged our tissues, uh, we'd be in big trouble. So what the body does is make insulin. And insulin is our storage hormone. It actually takes the sugar out of the blood and stores it inside cells. It stores lots of other things as well, but sugar uh, as well. So if sugar, sugar goes up too high in the blood, insulin will spike and take all the sugar out and now you can imagine what's happening in the brain. It's not working very well. The sugar has dropped. So possibly telling the brain, go get some sugar, eat anything. Another cookie will do because one thing we should talk about is that starch, starchy foods are long chains of glucose molecules. So sugar, a candy um, will do a glass of orange juice will do, another cookie will do, a piece of bread will do, any of these carbs will do. But if, this, if they trigger the same process again, mm -hmm. you get insulin going up 
and then a rapid drop in blood sugar. I think that's one of the ways many people in around us are actually um, getting this urge to keep eating all the time. It's because blood sugar keeps dropping depending on what they've just eaten. That's a very long answer to your question. <laughs> it's fascinating. But do we always know we're eating sugar? Are there like hidden sugars in food? You know, well, what are yes. some? Yeah. And you should be just all the time reading labels. You would be shocked to discover maybe cold cuts, uh, cold cuts that are, are advertised as healthy because they have zero fat. Mm -hmm. And if you look on the label, and there may be four or five different types of sugar in there in a cold cut. So you wouldn't expect that. Uh, something that uh, fast food outlets use a lot, like ketchup, is you know just full of sugar. So it's not necessarily sweet foods that are full of sugar. It, it's everywhere. Um. I mean, I know you've talked a little, it's not just, it's not just the sugar, it's also starch. You talked a little bit about that. Was there anything that you wanted to um, just add to that? Well, I think the starch issue is, is one that we have to think hard about um, because especially very heavily processed starch. So we, we're talking really about the grains and, and things like potatoes and uh, a bread and rice and pasta, etc. Mm -hmm. So basically, their building blocks are glucose. And if they're heavily refined, remember we talked in a previous episode about ultra-processed foods. Yeah. These are foods that have been heavily processed in the factory. Mm -hmm. um, the actual, they, they're changed, the nature of them has changed, and the way we digest them is changed. So. Um, Refined starches, um, heavily processed starches, and um, will be very, very quickly converted into sugar. Mm -hmm. And I think that's that most people, that's the sort of uh, starch they're eating. So when you talk about whole grains, for example, a whole grain is whole when it is whole. If you pulverize it into a flour, it's no longer whole, and I, I really think it ought not to, you ought not to be allowed to call it whole grain any longer because now, even though its origin was a lovely whole grain that was, you know, uh, whole wheat uh, or uh, um, brown rice, it's now in such a, a, a pulverized form that it can be rapidly converted by the digestive system into sugar. Now, you love quotes, and I have a quote here. Uh, professor David Ludwig, professor of nutrition at the Harvard School of Public Health, he says this, you can have a bowl of cornflakes with no extra sugar added or a bowl of sugar with no extra cornflakes. It might taste different, but biologically, they're comparable. Can you talk a bit about why you well, like this? Well, you know, I think this is brilliant, this quote because it actually puts in a nutshell just what I have been talking about. Um, cornflakes. Uh, people, will, if they have a bowl of cornflakes, uh, they may say, I haven't added table sugar to that. I just add some milk. It doesn't matter. The cornflakes are rapidly converted into sugar, and they're heavily processed, just as I've been talking about. But you wouldn't think that it was the same as sitting down to a bowl of sugar never in a million years 
could you sit down and eat a bowl of sugar? Um, it just um, and it's a great it's a great visual, like sitting yeah. down to eat a bowl of sugar. Yeah, like no right. one would even think about that, but we're yeah. we're happy to sit down and eat a bowl of cornflakes. Exactly, and that's the problem. That if you were, um, you know, many many meals we can think of that were formerly considered a perfectly fine, uh, healthy meal. So a start to the day might be a bowl of cereal. It could be whole wheat. You know, I won't mention trade names, um, but it could be a whole wheat cereal and some milk on it, a glass of orange juice, a couple of slices of whole wheat toast. That, if you try and work out the amount of sugar that that will convert to, believe it or not, that converts to about 68 cubes of sugar. Just those three things? Those three things for breakfast. Now, it's very easy to eat that breakfast. Imagine lining up 68 cubes of sugar. Wow. How many of them could you eat? Zero. And well, I, probably, I could probably eat one or two, but I couldn't eat 68. And that's the same for most people. And I think probably the reason for that is that we have taste receptors for sweet on our tongue. And so there will be communication with the brain to say, you know, this is a lot of sugar coming mm. in. And then the brain will probably say, no, uh, no more. Uh, we couldn't eat it. But it's very easy to bypass because we have no taste receptors for starch. Uh, it's very new in our diets, in our evolution. Yeah. Um, then, you know, basically it, it gets past that little, you know, um, roadblock. And it's only converted into sugar after digestion. By that time, it's too late. Just yeah. I shouldn't have eaten that. So, sixty-eight cubes of sugar for breakfast. So, I mean, that it's an excess amount of sugar. So, what are the, some of the health consequences of like having excess sugar in starch? Well, you know, uh, I know that we've talked offline that there's a lot of talk about inflammation. Uh, and how inflammation is very damaging to tissues, which it is, and and how you know we have to eat anti-inflammatory diets. Well, the first thing if you want to eat an anti-inflammatory diet, you do is get the sugar out, because it is very inflammatory. It is damaging tissues uh, by this process of linking to proteins, and if one very important protein in the body. In fact the most abundant molecule in the body after water is collagen. Mm -hmm. So even if it was only for vanity's sake, um, what happens, that collagen is a protein and the excess sugar will cross-link it. And um, what will it produce? It'll produce wrinkles. Okay? No. So <laughs> it's even for vanity's sake, we shouldn't be eating... Um, uh, sugar. But in fact, you know, I usually say I really couldn't care less about wrinkles on my face. I'm really much more concerned about if there are, you can, you can get rid of the wrinkles with a bit of plastic surgery, yeah. um, but you cannot get rid of the wrinkles on your heart valve or your blood vessel walls or, mm. you know, a, a other collagen in the body. So basically, I think sugar is inflammatory. It is really linked now to every single chronic disease we have, not just diabetes, which we think of immediately. And by the way, something we should mention about diabetes 
is that it's type 2 diabetes. There's type 1 diabetes, which is an autoimmune disease and usually shows up in very young children where you just can't make insulin to deal with the sugar. But yeah. type 2 diabetes um, is, I hate to say this, but it's more or less self-inflicted. Um, it is eating too much sugar and starch. And it used to be called age-onset diabetes because we only saw it in the elderly. And then they had to change the name. Age-onset diabetes doesn't apply if you're seeing it in children now. Right. And so all of these serious chronic illnesses that turned up with age are actually slipping down the age range as our diets deteriorate. Why, why do we crave sugar? You know, what is it about the the sugar that drives us and 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 i i guess they've they've made it's i i guess it helps make it so addictive but well, why do we crave it so much well i think uh it must be i mean we don't have much in the way of proof but there's lots of theories as to why we crave sugar first of all our ancestors if they were hunter gatherers they would have had you know quite a rich diet of phytochemicals we talked about in plant-based foods if they were gathering and of course they were eating unprocessed foods uh, they would have had a hard job getting energy so mm -hmm. you know carbohydrates do give energy glucose is the energy molecule and so they would have had to have kept hunting and gathering to get enough energy just to keep body and soul together, to keep the heart beating, to keep digestion working, to feed their muscles to move around. So basically they craved high energy foods. So the most desirable part of an animal, if you uh, manage to hunt an animal, would be the fattier parts of the animal because fat and sugar are both high energy foods, which were very scarce in our ancestors' diet. Right. So that's one reason that probably we have this urge to seek out high energy foods, which wasn't a problem when there weren't candy stores on every street corner and right. fast food, you know, uh, outlets everywhere. So they didn't have access to a lot of it. We do. We could eat it all day long. And maybe there is a drive once we get the taste for it to keep going. I think, though, there might be another reason, mm -hmm. and that is a newborn babe is very weak and fragile and needs to grow fast to become more independent and so craves uh, high-energy foods. So what's the only food in nature that has is both high in sugar and in fat? And that's breast milk. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the newborn baby, you can't shut it up. They really want that more and more and more of that milk. And so I think that gene may never switch off, that desire uh, to keep getting the sweet and fat. Yeah, because, it, you know, it, it, what you had as a baby, you want to just continue on. You're like, well, this worked for me before. <laughs> it's going to keep working for me. And um, And also, you know, it, it, it explains, you know, the donut craze. Uh, you know, it's, <laughs> nothing is 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 more appealing than a, a fat, a fatty, sugary, starchy donut. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because 
I mean, you you think of some of the fast food restaurants out there, they have this, you know, meat protein and then they have, you know, high sugar, you know, soda that you eat. And those two together probably keep people coming back, making it somewhat addictive, I guess. Well, addictive in the way that the brain responds to it. But it is, you know, there's a lot of dispute about whether sugar is addictive or not. And um, it does anything that gives us pleasure releases dopamine in the brain. And so it will release dopamine. We do know that. And and, and dopamine's our happy place in the brain. You know, it, it, it's our feel-good uh, brain chemical. So to a certain extent, you can say it's addictive, but it may also be that because of the way we're eating, where we're pushing blood sugar up rapidly, and then insulin is bringing it crashing down, that that makes us keep craving the same sort of foods all the time. You talked a little bit about earlier about the effect of high sugar diet on the brain. Uh, I just wanted to wonder if you could elaborate a little bit more on that. Well, it's interesting that some researchers are now calling um, uh, Alzheimer's diabetes type 3, diabetes of the brain. Oh. So what happens uh, is if you keep spiking insulin, um, one of the mechanisms that the, the body uses is it, it really cells don't like to have sugar being pushed in all the time, excessive amounts of sugar. And so you may become uh, what's called insulin resistant. So when insulin is working, uh, it's reacting with a receptor on a cell, on a fat cell. So it's actually like a, a lock and key mechanism. So the insulin is the key, the receptor is the lock. So then it turns the key, allows the sugar to go inside where it's converted into fat. But if you become insulin resistant, what's happened is the cell has removed those locks from the surface and down-regulated the receptors, we would say. And so now the next time you spike sugar and insulin goes up to get rid of it, the key has nowhere to uh, attach to. Okay. So you now end up with high sugar and high insulin in your blood. Mm. So if you're insulin resistant, yeah. And you can't get sugar inside cells. Think of what's happening in the brain. The brain needs that sugar inside for brain cells to work. Mm -hmm. And it needs it at 10 times the rate of any other tissue. So then you may find that the brain is not working very efficiently and uh, gradually stumbles and doesn't work at all. Can you talk about you know, here in Los Angeles, we're all about these low carb diets, you know, inflammation you talked about earlier and, but low carb diets seem to be a, a bit of a fad. Are they a fad or are they, are they worthwhile? Can you talk a bit about it? Yeah, I'd like to redefine what we'd call, excuse me, dark, we call low carb diets. Um, low in what carbs? I hope that they're not low in the, in the vegetables and fruit. We know for good health, you need those. And in their whole form, they are the perfect supplier of glucose, continuous supply of glucose to the brain and to other organs. So um, 
fruits and vegetables are carbs. When we're talking low carb, we shouldn't be cutting out those carbs. Um, I've had people actually who, you know, anything that was defined as a carb, they cut out. And people scared stiff of an apple, for goodness sake. Um, what we're really talking about are these starchy carbs. And so sugar and starchy carbs to keep those low in the diet, I think is absolutely critical. And I think it will turn out to be the optimal diet to not swamp our ability, physiological ability to deal with glucose, but get the right amount of glucose circulating through all the time. So as long as you're not cutting out the really beneficial carbs. Remember the fruits and vegetables we talked about bringing a wealth of additional chemicals, phytochemicals that were both antimicrobial, they were helping to control mm -hmm. our microbiome, they were anti-inflammatory, uh, anti, um, uh, antioxidant, and also they are detoxifiers, they're helping our and our body detoxify from various environmental chemicals. So there's no way we can cut out those carbs. Mm -hmm. But there's every reason to rethink the amount of starchy carbohydrates. Nobody ever died of a bread deficiency. <laughs> no? You're not wrong. I, I don't know. I, I, <laughs> I'm pretty sure you're probably correct that no one's ever died of a bread deficiency. But do, do these low carb diets do they cut out all the sugar or is it is, does it need to be do you need i mean obviously you need to have some sort of sugar in your diet well you don't need it as, as i said the actual requirement um is zero according to our um bodies that set recommendations mm -hmm. daily recommendations however it is useful to have some a low amount a steady amount of you know, quickly available glucose and rather than wait to convert excess protein into sugar, that's too long. We need a, a little bit of, of, of sugar. So, you know, fruits and vegetables are a perfect uh, source and a little bit of additional sugar here and there is no problem. But really, you know, we are talking about sugar being the new smoking. Yeah. And, you know, some very similar tactics are being used to promote sugar um, as being healthy and uh, were used um, by some of the very same people um, to promote smoking as healthy. That once upon a time, um, you know, the, the adverts for smoking were mm. doctors in their white coats with their stethoscope around their neck saying, this is my favorite cigarette. So basically, similar tactics are being used now to say, oh, it's not sugar that's the problem. It's lack of exercise that's the problem. And in fact, a lot of research money is going into trying to prove sugar is not a problem. I, you know, clearly is. What about keto? Can you talk a little bit about keto diets? Because that, that's a big trend here in Los Angeles as well. Yes. So the ketogenic diet of course, just, just let's imagine what would happen to our hunter-gatherer ancestor where there was a famine and there was no sugar available, no fruits, vegetables, they were going to starve. What would happen? Their brain wouldn't work. 
So we have to have an emergency fallback system to create what are called ketones from the fat stored in our liver. And these ketones are an alternative source of energy for the brain. And in fact, before the discovery of insulin, it was the only way a type 1 diabetic could survive was to go on a ketogenic diet. So that cuts out every source of carbohydrate mm. um, and keeps it low and gets energy from fat and protein sources. Is it necessary to get the health benefits of low carb to go to that extreme? Mm. No. If you look at some of the research that's proving the benefits um, of low-carb diets, I think incorrectly called low-carb diets, um, they don't go into ketogenesis. You don't see, you, you can tell whether you're in ketogenesis by looking at the urine and seeing if these ketones are excreted. So basically, you get all the advantages of ketogenic diet um, with a low-starch sugar diet. The, uh, and it's much more um, it's much more doable, it's much more sustainable. There are problems with the ketogenic diet, which I think haven't been explored uh, in great detail. One is that many of them are very high in fat. Mm -hmm. And although that seems to be fine, people are losing weight, uh, their blood tests look good in terms of their cholesterol being low, etc., their blood sugar being low. Um, that, I think, can be another problem. Some of these diets have up to 80% of calories as fat. Yep. Now, my concern, one of my concerns about fat is that we have a number of environmental pollutants, like 200 and counting man-made chemicals in our environment, herbicides, pesticides, plasticizers, etc., PCBs, dioxins, all of these are fat-soluble in our environment. So in an animal that if you're eating fat, it's the concentrated fat of the animal, butter or cream. Uh, and it, many people are really overdoing the butter and the cream. If it's from a conventionally raised animal, it could be a cocktail of these environmental pollutants. That are, stored in the, that are sort of stored in the fat. They're sure they yeah they're fat soluble so they end up in the fat. Okay. And uh, so if you're eating organic all the time, but I'm very much doubt that somebody eating eighty percent of their calories is fat is choosing only organic. Um, then you're reducing your intake of these. Interestingly enough, these environmental chemicals are now being called what? Obesogens. They trigger the development of obesity. So if people are using a ketogenic diet high in fat that is, you know, laced with these chemicals, over the period of time, they may lose weight, but it must, you know, kick back eventually that they will start to gain weight as well. But even if they don't gain weight, those chemicals in themselves are triggers for a lot of cancers that we know, like breast cancer and prostate cancer. So I have concerns about the nature of the foods that people are eating on a, a ketogenic diet. Does it work? Yes. It's been used 
um, for very extreme medical conditions like epilepsy that is not treatable with drugs in children mm -hmm. and now in adults. And it works very well. But I think it should be reserved for medical situations where there's no other alternatives. I just wanted to ask about, you talk about uh, the animal fat when people, uh, and, and the fat soluble, is it the same for vegetables? Like, because some vegetables um, have a lot of pesticides. Is Are they stored on the vegetable? Do you just brush them off as we wrap up now? Well, you know, definitely, you know, I think vegetables need to be washed. And, uh, and it took me a while to be sure that I was getting value for money when I chose organic uh, over conventionally raised. Um, wash thoroughly, but wash with a, a proper detergent-like vegetable wash, not just, you know, uh, uh, run, running the tap water over them. Oh, um, so you, you, you say that it needs some sort of detergent as well, too. Can can people just use a regular like dish detergent or, they, or, or should they get one that's... I, <laughs> I wouldn't recommend that, Gavin, unless you want flavors <laughs> that are not normally in your food because there's perfumes and colorings and things in those. So there are nice vegetable washes. Usually they're made from um, coconut oil. Okay. And uh, so they are, then there's no coloring added. There's no... Uh, perfume or anything, any smells added to them. So they work extremely well. Um, usually you want to break the bond on the surface of, uh, of a fruit or a vegetable. Um, often the chemical may be attached to the fat and you want mm. to break that fat down. So a detergent type is best. Um, so basically one thing that's interesting, sometimes there's pros and cons one thing that's interesting about vegetables and fruit is they trigger the liver to express enzymes involved in detoxifying from these very chemicals. Mm. So if you say to me, oh, there's the, the, I can't afford organic, I just have to have conventional, um, so therefore I better not eat them because you know they, they, they may be laced with these chemicals. It's not a solution. It's better to eat them, wash them thoroughly, um, because you need them to detoxify from these very chemicals. They help switch these genes on in the liver. Uh -huh. So they're detoxifying chemicals, the phytochemicals. So you can't just ignore fruits and vegetables because you can't afford organic. It, then the next best thing to organic is to eat them and, and wash them thoroughly. Uh, I actually am interested. There's uh, the World Wildlife uh, Fund. They have a, a, a something that they put out every year called the Clean Fifteen and the Dirty Dozen. Okay. So they every year they look at uh, fruits and vegetables and see which are the least contaminated with pesticides and herbicides, etc., and which are the most. Mm -hmm. So the Clean Fifteen are the ones that you can eat and not worry about because the levels are so low. And that varies from year to year, but you can check them out on the internet. And then the dirty dozen are ones you either buy organic or you you don't have at that time. You have the other ones. Incredible. Well, let's leave it there because um, uh, our next episode, we'll be talking about the great protein debate, animal or vegetable, and how much protein do you need? Um, so thank you, Aileen. 
Thank you, Gavin. Nice to be talking again. And we'll look forward to talking about protein because it is another really controversial area at the moment. For more information on Aileen, uh, her work and her books, go to her website, at, which is aileenburfordmason.ca. That's Aileen, A-I-L-E-E-N, burfordmason.ca. Thanks for listening. <laughs>